welcome to the Get Yourself Together Chica podcast, the show that helps you thrive or, you know, sometimes just survive. I'm Rebecca Fernandez. In each episode, we dive deep into something that has an impact on our lives as women, whether that's money or love, motherhood or friendship, our careers, or just making space for joy. This is episode number two, which is the first of a two-part series about one of my favorite topics, international travel. Today, we'll be talking about how to plan and take amazing trips to places all over the world. We'll look at creative ways to afford those trips on almost any budget, and we'll dive into how you can get the most out of those experiences. I will tell you about some of my favorite places in the world and what I spent to get to those places. And spoiler alert, it's a lot less than most people think. I'll share lots of tips and hacks that I've learned when it comes to planning and experiencing international travel. If you have questions or tips to share, please send them to podcast at getyourselftogetherchica.com, and I might be able to squeeze some of those into a future episode. You can also visit the show notes for links to any of the resources I mentioned in this episode, and I'll post pictures of some of my favorite trips at www.getyourselftogetherchica.com slash podcast. Chica is spelled C-H-I-C-A. But first, I want to share what's bringing me joy right now. Last week, my partner and I traveled to the Azores, which are a group of islands off the coast of Portugal and northern Africa. We were driving along the northern coast when we came across signs for an overlook and a garden. There are lots of these in the Azores Islands. So we pulled into the little parking lot and we headed into the garden to check it out. Now, I can't even begin to describe to you how unbelievably beautiful the Azores Islands are. And pictures don't do it justice. But picture this garden like it's something out of Alice in Wonderland with arches and hedges and whatnot. And then the scenic overlook is at the back of the garden, and it overlooks these cliffs that drop straight down into the Atlantic Ocean, which just goes on for miles and miles, or I guess kilometers and kilometers in that part of the world. So anyway, we look back toward the garden, toward the parking lot, and we see this feral cat just sitting there in the garden, as regal as a cat can be in its bearing and how it was sitting. And right then, my partner leans over and whispers into my ear, I think that cat sometimes transforms into a princess. (laughs) So that's what brought me joy last week. And I still laugh every time I think about it. I'll post a few pictures in the show notes. And you tell me if you think that that cat sometimes might become a princess. All right, let's talk travel. So first, I'm fortunate in that I've been traveling my whole life. I was born in the United States, but my mother and her family are from Venezuela. And I took my first trip to Venezuela as a baby, and I went back a few more times as a kid. My stepmom is from Brazil, and as a teenager, I spent several weeks there, too. And then, when I was 17, I flew internationally by myself for the first time, to Istanbul, Turkey, where I spent the summer in one of those foreign culture exchange programs. Now, if you're an American and you don't have parents from other countries— You might be hearing all of that as, oh, Rebecca, you must have been some kind of a rich kid. But actually, my family was somewhere between working class and middle class, depending on the year. We did not have a lot of extra money, and it took a lot of careful planning and scrimping and saving to make those kind of trips happen. 
I'm really grateful to my parents for the way that they taught me that it's kind of foolish to get too wrapped up in consuming expensive brands and buying things essentially just to impress other people. We shopped secondhand for most things, and while it was probably a necessity to some extent, my parents did it mostly because they felt like it was the smart way to shop. Americans throw away and give away some pretty awesome stuff, and if you shop their discards by default, you can save so much money. So now I'm all grown up, and I'm fortunate that I earn a good living, but I still live a lot like my family did back then. I track every dollar that comes into or goes out of my life. There was a time when I had debt, a lot of debt, actually, almost $100,000 in student loans and a car loan. But I paid off the last of that about five years ago. And these days, I avoid debt like the plague. Because to me, the worst thing about debt is that it tends to constrain your freedom and your choices in the future. So for the past five years, I've been debt-free. I do have a small mortgage, but um, I don't really count that. It's, it's pretty manageable, and you got to pay to live somewhere. My spending during these past five years has averaged about $12,000 per year on travel. Now, I travel a lot. For that twelve k a year, I'm taking somewhere between three and five international trips each year, and a couple of little getaways here and there domestically as well. Some of those trips are with my partner, some are with my best friend, sometimes I go alone, sometimes I take my kids, and sometimes I go with my partner and all four of our kids, which, as you can imagine, does tend to add up fast. One of the biggest questions that people ask when they hear how much I travel is, but how can you afford that? And the answer is a little complicated. First, I am spending about $1,000 a month on travel. There are many households who, plain and simple, do not have that kind of disposable income, period. There were many years of my own life where I didn't have that kind of disposable income. And look, if you are struggling to make ends meet, and you don't have any real hope of ever earning more money, or ever digging your way out of the financial hole that you're in, this probably isn't the episode for you. And to be honest, this podcast in general might not be super helpful to you. There are other shows out there that you'd probably find more inspiring and uplifting. But for the rest of you, more often what I notice is the people who are asking me how I can afford to travel abroad so much, they have money to spare. They take some kind of annual vacation, maybe at a resort or to Disney, or in my area, they might rent out a beach house during high season. They drive new cars, they live in nice houses, they renovate their kitchens and their bathrooms, they buy $150 blue jeans if they fit well, they splurge on manicures and pedicures, and so on and so forth. So my answer is mostly, there are a lot of things that other people spend money on that I just don't. You see, I made a crucial observation about a decade ago that I was getting small raises here and there but they weren't adding as much joy to my life as the raises that came my way when I was really struggling financially. In other words, being able to buy groceries brings you a lot of joy when you've struggled to put food on the table. Being able to go out for dinner once a month when previously that was out of reach, that brings you a lot of joy. Then, when you can go out to dinner once a week instead of just once a month, that probably still brings you a good amount of happiness. Although... 
it's also less happiness than that first meal out got for you. And by the time that you're eating out three, four nights a week, you're probably hardly experiencing any real bump in joy from that. You see, when it comes to spending, there's a point of diminishing returns, where you still get some wow factor from spending more or consuming more, but you get less and less wow for each dollar that you spend. We've all experienced something like this, right? So the decision that I made about 10 years ago was that I needed to decide how much was enough. And anything I earned beyond that point, I needed to just start diverting it into savings instead of spending it mindlessly. For me, that meant from about age 30 to 34, I started really saving for the future. And then I got divorced. And once I was fully in charge of my own destiny, I started earning a lot more and saving pretty much all of it beyond that enough point. I started to really see that money could be a source of freedom if I had the discipline to save and invest it and the courage to use it as a source of freedom. At the same time, I was watching most of the people around me who I worked with. They were getting raises too, right? That tends to happen between 30 and 45. Most people start to really peak in their earning potential. And those people around me, they seem to be doing what most people seem to do with their money. They saved a little of it for retirement, and they spent the rest on fun. Except, because of that whole diminishing returns thing we talked about a minute ago, they were working harder and harder, and they seemed to be having less and less fun, even as they spent more and more money. Their default state seemed to become, I have to consume all of these things that I've been consuming and just keep adding more on top. Now, of course, some of the things that people spend money on that I don't spend money on, those are things that other people feel are important. And that's fine. It's your life. You should absolutely spend your time and your money on what helps you make the most of your life. For me, that means spending more on travel and less on pretty much everything else. To give you a sense of what that looks like for me, most people I talk to have at least one car payment, and some of them have two. The average monthly car payment last year was over $700 for a new car and over $500 for a used car. I don't have a car payment at all. I drive a 12-year-old hatchback that was cheap when I bought it, and I will drive it as long as possible. That's a choice I make because I'd rather travel more than less. Most people who work in jobs like mine also live in much bigger and more expensive houses than I do. For the past few years, I've been fortunate enough to earn an above-average income. But when I bought my house, I made the choice to look at the average household income for my city and to limit how much I was willing to borrow to what the average family could afford here. And if home ownership had been much more expensive in my area than renting, which frankly seems to be the direction that things are headed in at the moment, then I probably would have stuck with renting. But I was able to get a good deal on a house, and by choosing to buy much less house than a bank was willing to lend me, I ended up with a monthly payment that's less than half of what a lot of families like mine are paying. And bonus, it means that my kids are growing up in a solidly middle-class neighborhood, so there's not nearly as much pressure to buy a newer car or enroll them in expensive activities or upgrade my kitchen or my bathroom. 
That's a choice I make because I'd rather travel more than less. The list goes on and on. My kids go to public school, not private. I don't buy them expensive clothes or toys. In fact, I give them their own modest budgets to manage themselves. And as it turns out, they don't really want to spend that much on clothes when the alternative is having the money. They also contribute toward the cost of any activities or lessons that they want to do, because I want to know they're vested in that activity and they're not just continuing to do it because they've always done it. What else? Let me see. We don't eat fast food. We don't do takeout. And for the most part, I'd rather spend money on restaurants in other countries, typically where it costs less and the food is better, than I would go out to dinner here at home. I keep my hobbies and my fitness activities pretty cheap, too. I visit the public library instead of buying books, and I read a lot of books, so that saves me a lot of money. I don't typically pay for entertainment, stuff like concerts or movie tickets. In general, I don't shop for fun, unless it's at a yard sale anyway. In fact, I've kind of trained myself to get a little thrill from being an anti-consumer. My friends give me a lot of their stuff when they're clearing out clutter. I get a little thrill from using things up or wearing things out. For example, I've had the same handful of outfits for running and for yoga for more than five years. I even have the same yoga mat that I got for free when my old studio was clearing out their lost and found. It's my favorite color, this aqua blue color, and they were going to throw it away. And it was almost brand new back then, so I took it home. I sanitized it, and I have been using it ever since. That yoga studio actually closed down three years ago, but my trusty blue mat is still going strong. Okay, actually, it's getting a little bit ratty. At some point, I'm probably going to have to replace it. But you get the point. What else? Well, anyone who knows me knows that we eat a ton of fresh fruits and vegetables. But still, I shop at the inexpensive grocery stores, even though they're not as nice as Whole Foods or some of the ritzier places. Occasionally, yes, I get some produce that is half-spoiled, and I hate it when that happens. But most of the time, it's fine. And I save a lot of money that way. Again, I absolutely recognize that there are plenty of families out there who make all of those same choices, and they still don't have an extra $1,000 a month to spend on travel. But there are also plenty of people listening right now who spend more than $1,000 a month on these kinds of choices. So, you know, that's basically my answer to the how can you afford it question. And keep in mind, too, most people don't want to take three or four or five trips to other countries in a single year. I maybe go a little overboard there. So if you only want to take one, there's a good chance you can probably find the money to do it. Okay, so that's sort of a general primer on my financial outlook in life and how I'm able to direct my extra money toward the things that matter most to me, in particular, international travel. Before we dig into the details about how I managed to squeeze in that many trips for that kind of money, I've meant to tell you what I've been watching lately. I have this strange habit of not seeing movies until a decade or two after they come out, and when I finally watch them, it's almost always on an international flight. So last week, 19 years after it came out, I finally saw the movie Anchorman. It totally cracked me up. And it was so cool just to see all of these big stars of comedy together in this movie, all dressed up like it's the 1970s. I also realized that I have been hearing references to this movie for almost two decades, and I had no idea they were references to Anchorman. 
So if you're on a United flight this month, dig that one out of the catalog and give it a watch. All right, I thought it might be helpful to share some examples of places I've gone and what I've spent on those trips to get you excited and inspired about what's possible. On the less expensive end of the spectrum, back in January of 2022, I spent seven days in Barcelona with my partner. We ate out every single meal. We didn't really watch our spending. We drank a lot of sangria. We saw all the sights. And my half of the whole trip, including the flight and the hotel, was less than $1,300. We keep our finances separate, and obviously he paid about the same for his half. As I mentioned, last week I spent seven days in the Azores Islands off the coast of Portugal. Same story, just me and my boyfriend again, eating in restaurants for every meal, enjoying plenty of wine and fresh seafood, visiting some amazing nature spots, and I spent a little over $1,300 total again for my half of the trip. Now, he did spend a few hundred more dollars than me this time because I had paid for both of our plane tickets using my airline miles. So that's the deal we worked out between us to make up for the difference. Now, on the more expensive end of the spectrum, back in July of 2019, I took my two kids to Iceland for seven days. We traveled with another family and we cooked maybe half of our own meals. We ate out for the rest. We saw unforgettable natural sights and I spent about $3,300 total for that seven-day trip to Iceland. Again, that was my half. I don't know what the other family spent because I didn't dig into their expenses, but we shared an Airbnb. And then this past spring break, my partner and I took all four of our teenagers to Greece for nine days. We didn't watch our spending at all, really, because it was our last spring break with all of these kids. We spent some time in Athens, we saw a few of the Greek islands, and we fell completely in love with the island of Idra. It's spelled like Hydra. There were cats all over the island, and one of my favorite memories was each and every meal out we would have, there would be some feral cat, you know, feral, quote unquote, some island cat who would try to hop up in somebody's lap. And so pretty much all of our pictures, one of us has a cat in our lap. My total cost for my half of that trip, me plus two teenagers for nine days in Greece, a little over $5,600. Not too bad. So hopefully that inspires you to think about what's possible. The kind of numbers that I just shared with you, those are less than people spend to go to a lot of American beaches or resorts in places like Mexico or Florida or the Bahamas or to Disney. So how do you do it? First, I highly recommend reading Scott Keyes' book, Take More Vacations, How to Search Better, Book Cheaper, and Travel the World. Seriously, read this book from cover to cover and then read it again. Scott is the founder of a website that used to be called Scott's Cheap Flights, and it recently rebranded itself as Going. You can find links to all of this stuff in the show notes, but it's an excellent resource for finding good deals on flights. You want to read the book first, though, because Scott's book teaches you how to invert your travel planning. You see, most people decide where they want to go on vacation. Let's say Paris. Then they decide when they want to go. Let's say the third week in July. And then they go book a flight, which of course costs them a small fortune. Let's say $1,500 per ticket. Thus, most people rarely travel to distant locations. I mean, who could afford to do that all the time? 
Instead, it's better to be super flexible about where you'd like to go and let the deals that come your way make that decision for you. So for example, our trip to Barcelona came about because I saw tickets to Barcelona for $365 round trip. I pay, I don't know, maybe $59 a year for a premium subscription to Scott's Cheap Flights or Going or whatever it's called these days. So I get these kinds of flight deals in my inbox all the time. I saw that and I took a quick look at the dates that were available for that price and I could make it work for those days in January. So I called my partner and I said, hey, you want to go to Barcelona from January 19th to the 25th? Tickets are like 300 bucks. Now, we've been together for more than five years, so he knows how I roll when it comes to these kinds of deals. Meaning, he didn't hesitate or ask any questions. He just said, I am in. Book it. Now, when it comes to travel with our kids, of course, we are a lot more restricted in when we can go. We have two different family custody calendars to work around, two different school calendars, four different kids' activity calendars, plus our own work schedules. So that means we're typically narrowed in on the week of spring break, some years Thanksgiving break, and we maybe have a window of two or two and a half weeks during the summer when everyone is actually available to go somewhere. That means we have to be extremely flexible and creative about where we're going to go. Plus, we know that we're going to need a pretty big place to stay. Four teenagers is a lot of teenagers, and we're going to need a lot of meals out. Those kids eat a lot, and dinner prep and cleanup tends to be a pretty big production for six people in a rented kitchen, not something that we want to do daily while we're on vacation. So basically, I scan for flight deals that fall within our windows of opportunity to destinations that seem even remotely interesting and safe, because you don't want to be worried about something bad happening if you take your eye off of one of the kids. You don't want to go somewhere where somebody might rip their cell phone out of their hand and run off with it. And most importantly, I'm looking for destinations that might be a little more expensive to get to than other places, but where once we arrive, the cost of lodging and food and transportation and entertainment and all of those kinds of things, that part needs to be pretty inexpensive. In other words, I'm looking for places like Spain or Portugal or Greece or Costa Rica, and not for places like the Caribbean or Scandinavia where the airfare is going to be just a drop in the bucket of the expenses to follow. So generally, with these kinds of restrictions, it's pretty unusual that I'll find airfare for under $400 per ticket. But it's not hard at all to find a deal for $500 or $650 per ticket. And again, as long as the rest of the trip isn't going to get too spendy, I can probably swing that. When it's just me and my partner, or me and a friend, or me by myself, I can often get tickets well under $400 to other countries. If you're responsible with credit cards, and by responsible I mean you're not going to open a credit card and then go and run up a bunch of debt and pay super hefty interest charges on it. If you're responsible, you can also save a ton on airfare if you're willing to learn about new credit card sign-up bonuses and other ways that are out there to earn points and airline miles. If you're single and you don't have kids, or you're partnered and you have kids but you just don't travel multiple times per year, you can easily cover all of your airfare costs with just credit card bonus miles and pay nothing at all for your flights, or at least very little. For example, if you open a Chase Sapphire Preferred card right now, they offer a bonus of 60,000 ultimate rewards points as long as you spend $4,000 in the first few months. That'll get you about $750 worth of airfare in the Chase Travel Portal. 
And if you do what I do, and you first keep an eye out for a great flight deal, and then you try to book it in the portal, you might just get two international flights out of that one sign-up bonus. Plus, it's a good card to have when you travel, because you don't get stuck paying international transaction fees if you're buying things, and it comes with some pretty good perks. Um, I use it all the time for rental car insurance, for trip delay insurance, lost baggage insurance, all of those things I have actually used it. And once you go through the painful process once, you learn, okay, it's not that difficult. Here are the basics of how to do it. So if you want to learn more about using credit cards to get free travel, I highly recommend the Points Guys Getting Started Guide, which I'll link to in the show notes. And I'll put a link there as well to the to the Chase card if you're interested in that one. I actually opened that one this year and I've been really happy with it. Got me some free airfare. Okay, so we've covered picking your destination and getting a great deal on airfare. In part two of this episode, we'll look at more ways to save on your international travel costs and why I think you should avoid the trip of a lifetime mentality. Well, it's time to share what blew my mind this week. I did the math and I realized it's been almost four years since we first started hearing about the COVID-19 pandemic. The distance from that time until now It's the same amount of time that I have left with my kids before they're both out of high school. Time flies, chicas. Make the most of it. Well, chicas, that's all for today. For more episodes or links to the resources I might have mentioned, visit www.getyourselftogetherchica.com slash podcast. If you liked today's episode, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. If you love this podcast, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any episodes. And please, I would value so much if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen to podcasts. Until next time, chicas. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Gail Van Mater Photography. When you need a professional photo for your LinkedIn profile or that panel you're speaking on, do you have a photo that you're proud to share? Does it show your personality and make you shine? Is it more than five years old? When it's time to update your professional image, if you're in the Triangle area of North Carolina, visit gailvanmaterphotography.com. Van Mater is spelled V-A-N-M-A-T-R-E. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy. Be sure to mention this podcast to get a special offer.